and we're live with our 163rd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Did that work? Uh, sorry, I think my my internet like dropped. Did you do the intro? I did. <laughs> I said Seth say oh, hi, and then it was silence. <laughs> <laughs> silence. Hi, everybody. <laughs> sorry about that. My like internet, my Wi-Fi just decided to take a yeah. Like, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Absolute Absec. Apparently, that's this is how today is going to go. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yes, yes. This is episode 163. And there it's not like anything has happened over the past week in the industry or the world at large. So I don't I don't know if we're gonna have anything to talk about today, right, Ken? Um yeah, it's so boring, yeah. it's so tame out. So there. so yeah, boring. Yeah, all. yeah. No no one's stressed about anything happening in the world right now. Um yeah, I I, I don't know. My like I don't know if you knew this, Ken, right? Like when we worked for fishnet years and years ago remember i used to do all those training courses um like europe and other places uh one of the uh one of the companies that i trained with we, we i went to kiev right um and spent a good week there uh training a you know it was a sub for a larger financial institution they were teaching them all about you know penetration testing and application security vulnerabilities so um, it's been pretty interesting to watch everything go on. Having been there, been right? Uh, I yeah. don't even know if that's how you say it correctly, but that's that's where I visited when I went to Ukraine. But I didn't do it for, uh, this was in the Navy, not in the um, civilian sector. Civilian world, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to watch everything go on. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um for a number of reasons. I think this is, uh, for one, seeing, I mean, there's so many things you could talk about. I mean, Germany is upping its defense budget uh, permanently, right? Year mm-hmm. over year. That's their plan. Uh, they're, for the first time, part of the uh, folks donating, you know, anti-tank and anti-missile, uh, or sorry, anti-air, rather, uh, defense systems to Ukraine. Um, the EU is taking hard line stances, uh, sanctions against um, Russia and, uh, you know, the, the being taken out of the, the global economic um, sort of world is an interesting approach. I, I think what I what I like about all of this is that <clears throat> one of the like Putin doesn't really I mean, he doesn't he's not going to care at all about like with a common, you know, person within Russia thinks about all of this, but, you know, when you start affecting the high level elites within the Russian government, within the Russian sort of like, you know, uh, upper class economic sphere, uh, that's going to put a different level of pressure. It is weird to see sort of like how, you know, (laughs) obviously oil prices are now going up, that's affecting the stock market. So you see what's interesting I've noticed too about all of that is like with uh, stocks and crypto, you see tech stocks like I think one thing that was interesting to me is I looked at crypto or thought of crypto as like sort of this d uh, maybe like a gold right like gold like de- yeah. uh, decoupled from say the stock market's vol- volatility but I think what we've seen is that the it's not it's not not been the case crypto has been just as volatile and actually shifted with tech stocks so as tech stocks go up and down you know so so, so does crypto um, that is that has interesting ramifications. Um, from a technology standpoint, you're seeing uh, people volunteer to be the IT cybersecurity uh, or cyber offensive weapon, really, for Ukraine from both within Ukraine as well as um, outside of Ukraine. And so yeah. all of these things are happening. And it's just it's wild how how in like you said, in one week, relatively <laughs> yeah. like one and a half ish weeks, how things have gone. It's just bananas. Well, and that, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of wanted to dig into the whole IT army like uh, stuff and the ramifications of what's going on there, right? Like, I, I mean, we've always had this ability and you're seeing in Ukraine, like where they have almost like a foreign legion that's popping up, right? Foreigners that come and are serving um, on the battlefield. 
And this idea that, you know, anyone anonymous, um, whoever can actually do the same thing and target, um, you know, financial institution, government organizations of another country, just based on, based on uh, real world politics, real world wars, real world you know, interactions that are happening just feels, uh, how do I want to say this, right? Like it, it's wild to me that it's acceptable, right? Um, encouraged. I, I, it's not acceptable. Yeah. It's encouraged. I mean, the Ukrainian government is encouraging yeah. civilians to take up arms. And I think I, I would, I would say, I mean, like, when I say take up arms, obviously, I mean, digitally in that sense, although they are also doing the same physically, but it is interesting that Brit, that, that, uh, I forget her name. Um, uh, it slips slipping my, it's slipping my mind at the moment, but she encouraged like British citizens to take up arms against Ukraine, um, physically, not digitally, right? Like physically take up arms. Um, if that's something they so choose, choose to do. So it's weird that it's not only accepted, on the digital side of things, I want to stick to that. On the digital side of things, it's not only accepted, but encouraged. And they're building this. Yeah. Cyber I, 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 yeah. And I have seen a little bit of pushback on, um, you have to realize what you're doing. Right. Um, because I, like we, we know that there's unintended consequences and, you know, targets may have, other backbones or they may be uh, associated with other countries, other industries, other companies that, you know, are just that aren't involved in the conflict. Right. Like, you know, you start to look at, okay, where does this trace back actually happen? Where are they hosting this, this site, this application. I mean, we do this all the time when we're scoping out just normal penetration tests as far as, okay, what's the outer layer? What is the actual target? What are we trying to assess? Um, but it, you know, in this kind of wild west of go after this, you know, Russian bank or whatever that the Ukraine, Ukraine is putting out there, right? Like it, it could have other implications and you could be opening yourself up to other problems if you're not really if you're not careful about it, right? Like, I mean, we, we, we saw this in the early days of just like uh, responsible disclosure um, and hackbacks and everything else that used to happen on the internet. It probably still does. It's probably got underground a little bit more. Um, but, you know, if, if portions of that bank are hosted in AWS or, you know, Alibaba or wherever, right? Like other cloud providers, like it's hard to separate that out from, other people that are in that same environment and especially, you know, distributed denial of service attacks. Um, you're you're going to be taking down more than just a single host. And I, I don't know, like, I just like, I'm pretty leery about, you know, number one, enlisting to become a part of like of, of those efforts without knowing the full ramifications or protections that are involved right? Because there are none. Like it's, it's just a, it's an open book right now, as far as what's, what's allowed. And we don't know what the ramifications are. We don't know what the results and the consequences of that are going to be. Yeah. I guess, suppose there's an argument to be made too, for, uh, you know, um, there's always that, that chance, like, um, whoever's sort of, uh, a handler of these, uh, groups, you know, abusing that to go after targets that, uh, you know, seem like they're part of the objective, but, uh, aren't. but I do, th I mean, I, I totally get like the hacktivism aspect of this and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I it's like, I'm very, it's, it's, it, there are, yeah. So like to kind of expand upon what you're saying, I mean, when you do this, uh, for a, government i suppose they have more in, intel there's more regulation there's more um, oversight i guess in general into you know ha making sure you're choosing the proper targets um that these are the proper targets um there's like i said oversight and uh not going too far and, and such but 
I think this is one of those cases too, where it is kind of an unprecedented, like, well, I shouldn't say it's unprecedented. It's definitely, I mean, this has happened before in history, but what's unprecedented about it is the technological aspect where you have, you know, effectively like civilians being, uh, told to use their skills to weaponize like these are it but to be to be clear too some of these people are not security people they're just it yep. people that they're weaponizing for for security uh offensive security activities as far as i understand right as far as what limited information we get um and so i don't know i, I guess it's, i totally like i understand um if it was my country i'd definitely be uh Okay. You know, fighting back any way I could, whether that's with a gun or with a keyboard. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, definitely something to think about is be, being careful. Um, yeah, I actually hadn't heard that or I hadn't, uh, to be honest, I hadn't thought too much about that aspect. But that's an interesting point that you bring up. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the collateral damage, right? Like, I, 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 I just want people to be careful and to realize you know, that there are consequences to what's going on. It's very easy to jump on the bandwagon um, and participate, right? Like if you are so inclined, um, by all means, go and participate and, you know, you know, do what you can, but be realistic about what the, what the targets are, um, how you protect yourself. Um, you know, we, we know that there are ways to cover our tracks, Right. Everyone does. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just I wonder what the blowback's going to be. Um, and, you know, when it swings the other way and you got caught up in, in an emotionally charged situation, um, bad things can happen and those consequences still have to be borne. I, I guess that's all that I'm I'm saying. I'm not I'm not saying that I, I don't necessarily agree with, you know, putting putting our uh resources and our abilities out there, you know, to help out in situations that warrant it. Um, but be realistic about the protections that are being provided to you because a tweet, you know, does not provide legal recourse, right? Like there's, there's no like, Hey, I didn't mean to do this just because somebody from another country tweeted. Um, there's, there's still, there's still issues that arise there. That I, I guess that's all that I'm saying. I just want, I, Yeah. Yeah, I just want people to be careful, right? Like, be careful about what you're doing and what and and realize that there are there can be negative effects. Yeah, I guess it's um, I totally understand why it's enticing. Uh, this is one of those situations where you know, typically, and I don't know if people watching remember uh, too far back, but like you know, sort of the early days of of hacking, it was kind of like. Um, really anti-government in a way, like really not yeah. taking sides kind of like, uh, for, yeah, it, I mean, there's multiple ways of looking at that. You can make arguments on either side, but anyways, now I can say, I don't think that this is so much a thing of like this government so much as what this person's doing is objectively bad. There is objectively no good reason for it other than to expand territory and, try to take back what the soviet the former soviet glory i don't i don't yeah there's no good there's no good reason for the for to to do this to people um and i think that's what makes it interesting is it's objectively bad there's no subjective aspect to this so i get why it's enticing but yeah i i think you should always be careful i mean i i of all people have always been the the person saying i will no longer hack for any government (laughs) just because of the uh you know, my experiences with that. Um, yeah. But in any case, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting time. Um, well, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I understand the, you know, like, we, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I like, I mean, we've probably belabored the point a little bit too much today. Right. But it's um, yeah, just, just be careful and realize that there, there can be consequences. Um, if you are participating um, use a VPN, cover your tracks, right? Like use pristine environments, right? Everything that we would suggest um, or that you've seen people do that are trying to attack your own network, right? Like it's, um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, probably, that's probably about as far as I should go on that, Ken. <laughs> no, I totally, um, 
Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. But it's it's an interesting time from from a certainly from a digital perspective, but also from just uh, you know. Um, well, I mean, this is the first major conflict where we've seen that as a you know a major portion of the conflict, right? Right. Um, yeah. You know, and and at what point does Russia get cut off from the internet? Period. Um, Ooh, I mean, those. Point. And those those attacks from anonymous, the d- distributed denial of service attacks that are going on against like Russian banks and you know Russian military sites, um, like nothing is available, right? Like if you've ever if you've tried to get to any of those .ru sites, they are definitely down and being impacted, um, and it's affecting you know what they can actually put out there, which is good from a propaganda perspective. Um, but I worry about also like the, the flip side of, you know, this can be weaponized for other purposes as well. And yeah, one thing it, it could do is inside of Russia, it's a small, it's a smaller, but growing group of Russian citizens that are anti this invasion, right? They're, they're not, yeah. they're not with Putin. They're not with their government. They're upset about it. They're being vocal. They're, Protesting is a, comes with a very, very high cost inside of Russia, right? And we know that uh, it is not the same place as obviously where we're at. But there are there is a group of folks fighting back, saying this is wrong, this is objectively bad, et cetera, et cetera. When you take away internet access, you also limit the communication, the online communication of those dissidents, those folks that are against this. And so there's also those consequences to consider as well, as as well as like you know. Obviously, there's intel to be gained from smart devices, from internet-connected devices, um, and communication. So there's other ramifications, too, of cutting them off that might be negative for the rest of the world as well. So um, it is, there's a lot to think about, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad I'm not making those calls or those decisions, right? Um, yeah. It's a... I don't know. The the whole thing is just messed up, right? Like, and it all happened. So last week, Ken and I were teaching a, a, our secure code review course to a, a group uh, while the invade, you know, while the whole invasion was kicking uh, off. Yeah. And you know, and they're in the Europe. Yeah, some of the attendees were in Europe, and we're like, wow, we're glad they stuck with us because you know, learning how to identify vulnerabilities is important, right? But um, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's a pretty scary time. To be, uh, yeah. yeah, my heart goes out to everybody. It's, 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 it's very unfortunate when bad people decide to do bad things, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so again, like you, you won't, you know, a lot of times you'll hear me be pretty like, well, this, that, and the other, this one, I, I don't think there's that much to say other than subjectively bad doing yeah. objectively terrible things. Yep. Should have left them alone. Yep. So that's my hardline <laughs> stance on that one. That's how I feel. Yep. So anyways, and he's thrown out all kinds of like, obviously he's thrown anything that he can figure out to, to try and stick against the wall in terms of like Ukraine's corrupt. Ukraine has, uh, what was the other one? Something about Nazis, like all of this yeah. bullshit. It's just made up just to just trying to throw any excuse out there. No, we, I think everybody knows what the reason is. So anyways, if I seem a little salty and a little, you know, yeah, just not. Yeah, I mean, try not to be emotional, but it, it, you you see the stuff coming out of there, and it pisses me off. So, uh, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. That's all that it yeah. is. It's, it's just heartbreaking because there's no need for it. Um, and so, uh, and that, that's where I'm going. It's like I feel the, I, I feel this pull as well, right? Like I think any of us do in the industry to add our talents to the pool, um, and yeah, no <laughs> drug addicted. Yeah, drug there you go. Yeah, there you go, Neil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's just, you know, then, then my mind goes to, okay, so like, how do you protect yourself? How do you keep yourself? Um, yeah. Discuss about broken access control. Access control. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, for sure. Interesting times. Hey, interesting so. times. Yes. So maybe we flip to something Shift else gears. now. Shift gears yeah. <laughs> here. I'll, I'll start with uh, yeah. Um, training course for Colonel Con is filling up. It's about a month away. Ken and I have booked. Um, if you are interested in the Secure Code Review course, uh, please attend. 
Um, we had a really interesting course last week. Uh, you know, that one was a private course, but this one is public and open to anyone that's interested. As long as you can make it um, there to Colonel Con, it'll be a good time. Um, um, should we yeah. mention also uh, mm-hmm. a conference occurring in a, in a specific part of the world? Where, where would that, that be? You may or may not know about. <laughs> yes uh except i don't think it i don't know like neil it sounds like he's listening oh it is it's listed on the twitter site or on their twitter but not necessarily on the full site yet yeah i'm 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 bringing the link up now so i can share it with folks uh oh yeah there you go that's good enough um yeah so uh june 27th through 30th this summer at waikiki beach marriott resort and spa on the island of oahu there is going to be a locomoco sack. Wait, so, where is that? I, I don't believe it. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> so brighter note, there's going to be a you know pretty awesome product security conference occurring this summer in Hawaii. So yes, Please. I am down to go. I believe uh, I've looked at their regulations and everything. It should be fine to go. Um, you know, um, yeah, awesome. I'm excited about that as well. So. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't even like the CFP and stuff isn't quite open yet, but the dates are announced. Um, uh, I, I've already been looking at tickets and travel plans just, you know, since, uh, since apparently I've just gotten crap for year over year, you know, since that, uh, so, since it happened. Cool. Uh, and Neil, CFP yeah. any day. Cool. Sweet. Yep. Um, I would just advise you to watch the Twitter account for Locomoco sec or Neil um, on Twitter, NDM. Um, either of those would probably have the details that, when they pop up. So cool. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, from a news perspective, Ken, uh, like maybe we should get into something technical, broken sure. access control, maybe. I don't know. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, um, uh, yeah. If you, do you have any, so, I'm going to butcher the, your name. I apologize. If you, Rafine, is that how I say it? If you uh, have any specifics you'd like to know about broken access control, we can um, certainly discuss any of the, the specifics you have there. While we're waiting for your uh, clarification there, we can talk about, uh, I was curious if you wanted to talk about that uh, not storing environment variables, secrets of environment variables article at all. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do that. All right, I'm going to put it up here then. Because I know this popped up in Slack as well last week. I think it was Cole or somebody was asking about it, right? Like, or maybe it was Derek, you know, storing of secrets and how to actually use secrets in these different environments and with applications. Um, So, I, I mean, like I've, yeah. I go back and forth on this, right? Like uh, storing of secrets in environment variables, because this seems to be the way that we inject things into cloud environments in a, in a common or, you know, I've seen it over and over, I guess, right. Is what I wanted to say. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the article itself is arguing against that, right. Yeah, so it argues against using environment variables uh, primarily because once so there, I think the the I guess to break this down, the proposal isn't is to instead use an ephemeral uh, file system mount, a small file system mount to store those secrets, such like uh, or similar to how HashiCorp um, has its vault. Um, ephemeral uh, file system. Uh, but what's interesting is that the there's a hard line sort of made where um, once the application's actually fully initialized, uh, then that file system should no longer be accessible. So basically as the application loads and loads into a running state, those values are grabbed from that temporary file system uh, and then are no longer accessible after the application's fully initialized, um, which is interesting and not 
definitely not impossible to handle, but it's, uh, and I've seen it done successfully that this way as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an, it's, I guess it's an interesting approach. One thing that I was thinking about though, is like the rotation of secrets would Mm -hmm. be a bit difficult here in this, this, this case, uh, on a, you know, a running application, um, that, that point is kind of discussed below very quickly, uh, in this article, it's like, um, secrets management services are overkill for most static third-party API tokens used by web applications. Rotating keys for third-party APIs is almost always a manual process. The likelihood of misconfiguring the secrets management services is also not to be discounted. Um, yes, obviously going through and rotating your secrets on the individual services, uh, inside of those different providers is a manual process for sure. But, um, you know, do you want to like reinitialize the application, uh, once you need to rotate keys, maybe, maybe it's not a big deal. I mean, sure there's, it's it's a way that this is certainly a way that things get done. It's not, it's not totally abnormal though. Like having no firsthand experience with actually trying myself to, you know, rotate secrets and using this, uh, Oh, I guess another argument he makes too, which I should go back to is Kubernetes, um, is that the usage of orchestration, uh, specifically called out here, Kubernetes makes all of this a bit easier, fashionable, whatever you want to call it. Um, do you think that it's, I, I can tell you why I think it is a problem uh, if they're stored in environment variables. And that's pretty easy. That's like, how many vulnerabilities did we discuss and talk about and show where the end result is being able to access the file system or run commands, right? Tons yeah. of them, remote code execution, yeah. uh, command injection, uh, deserialization issues, you name it. I mean, which I guess to do end up as usually remote code execution vulnerabilities, but whatever, like we could, we could, we could go through a laundry list of things that end up with, um, even when we talk about, um, SSTI template injection, something that's becoming more common, um, you know, like you, you can, you can run, you can run an ENV command and get the output from the environment variables. So it's, it's not, it is a, there's a number of vulnerabilities that could be present in an application that would allow you to retrieve those secrets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get that, right? Like devil's advocate though, to me is anytime that you have those secrets in memory as it is, right? Like it, you know, whether that's environment variables, whether that's I pulled it off the file system and it's now part of my database connection object or my service object that I'm, you know, I'm talking to, it still exists in memory. And so I, I'm like, is it worth the effort to totally reconstruct an application to not use environment variables um, just to still have, you know, there's still that exposure that goes on because you have to have those in plain text at some level within the application. So yes, like we're making it, you know, using environment variables may maybe feels a little bit lazy and it was the easy solution at the time, but I don't know if it's, if, if it's worth re-architecting an application to lower that risk when, you know, taking care of RCEs, making sure things are up to date, right? There's, there's other ways to eliminate that risk of being able to access those environment variables um, along with things like key rotation and AWS being able to do like instance um, access, right? Like there, there, there's other ways to go about it. I wouldn't, I would. So I guess my, my devil's advocate here is um, yes. Uh, you know, I do agree. It's an easy way to pull those secrets, secrets back, but it's not the end all be all of security. Right. And he's probably not arguing that, um, but I do want to take it with a grain of salt. That's all. Yeah, you're right. It's in memory. And if at all, like you can run code that prints out, you know, a variable that represents that plain text value that's in memory, it's the same as dumping out environment secrets. I think actually I have a different uh, concern with environment variables that we discussed last week when we were doing that um, training, which was um, folks not defaulting to throwing an exception when secrets aren't present in the production environment. This happens sometimes where for whatever reason that deploy goes wrong 
or um, yeah, just maybe the configurations for the, you know, the, the infrastructure as code configuration was off. Um, and what ends up happening is that the secrets don't get deployed correctly to the environment variable. And then you end up seeing sessions or um, encrypted values or hash values or whatever, whatever thing that that's, that secret was going to be used for uh, just not show up in production. And then, like I said, those things not being signed or generated with basically with an empty string, right? That's how they're generated because that value wasn't there. And the, the correct way is to not even, or they default to a very simple static value that's in the source code, right? Like it's, or uh, default one, two, three, or something like that, right? So both are equally pretty dangerous. Um, the best option there is, like I said, I think we were talking about just throwing an exception, throw a 500, don't let the application come into a fully initialized state unless those values are actually present. And I think that's a bigger concern than bike shedding over like, you know, where the storage is occurring, uh, especially like you said, when, at regardless that that value is in memory and there are a number of ways to extract what's in memory from a, a running application. Yeah. I, I, well, and that's just it, right? Like the, you know, if you have RCE, you have the ability to extract environment variables. You probably have the ability to actually run some other commands as well. Um, and, you know, with introspection or, and like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Java and all the Java applications that are out there, right? With introspection query or introspection um, and reflection, you are able to actually look at those objects and what's actually running once you have the ability to execute code. It it does make it more difficult to get at the, those plain text values, yes. And so there is a layer layer of security that's there. Um, however, um, it's not it's not a bulletproof solution. Uh, that, that's all I want people to recognize. Anytime we have those plain text values and we have to handle them, um, it's not a plain, it's not a bulletproof solution. It's going to be difficult. It's, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like, I have a hard time saying this is the best way to handle secrets. That's, yeah. Right. It is funny how, and I know you're avoid you're very cleverly avoiding the word metaprogramming by using reflection <laughs> inspection and introspection instead. Although those are the that is what Java calls it. But yeah, uh, no, like metaprogramming is uh, inherently also causes extra attack surface um, or extra yeah issues when when things are that flexible. And like you said, you can use especially if you're able to write code that then is executed by the application like we see with like deserialization bones yeah absolutely you're going to be able to inspect any element or any object within the uh the the um the running application and see you know where it was defined what its value is everything everything you want to know you can even override those value those um, functions um there's crazy stuff you can do with introspection reflection Metaprogramming, uh, <laughs> very cool things. That you can do. Come, come on, I, I was I was trying to stick to Java, but you know, sure, we'll pull Ruby into it. But Python has the same, like Python all of the, the interpreted thing. languages, uh, they all have the same thing, like um, you know, prototypes, like uh, JavaScript. Everything has the ability to actually describe different objects and classes, and um, you know, to figure out what's going on programmatically, which is a great thing from a development perspective and programming perspective, um, but it does expose all of those interfaces and all of those objects to malicious code if you can insert malicious code. And so like, that's why I'm going back to, man, uh, right? Like if, if this is the only thing in your application, right? That, that is being found, right? Is this use of environment variables to store secrets and you've got everything taken care of all right, you know, maybe spend some time like take, you know, working on it, but it's not, it wouldn't be my first recommendation as far as like, Hey, you've got an application that's completely falling down and has all these vulnerabilities. Let's go make sure secrets are, you know, are, aren't being stored as environment variables first. Right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I saw Neil's comment and it made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, let me just read it so that those who listen and don't watch can know. So he said, be sure that 500, 
that the 500 you raise for a missing secret prints out all the environment variables and play text for de debugging purposes. Yeah. Hey, that, that is the Django way. Let's be honest, right? Like that is, yeah. That's how we do it. That's how we that's do how it. We do no, it. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't print out, yeah, don't print out your stack traces in your, uh, you always always hide that stuff from the users as well as environment variables. No, no, a recent test, it, as long as you hide it within a, you know, a JSON response object, it's fine because the, the front end React will never see it, right? Like your view or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, cool. Well, no, actually, I, I like your take there. It's uh pretty on point, you know, from this is uh, certainly... A, Great article. I'm glad someone raised it. Um, uh, credit to the author, Matt Hamilton. But uh, yeah, obviously there's some counterpoints and uh, different things to think about. So we got a response back uh, regarding the broken access control clarification. So um, basically, I think access control vulnerabilities are very hard to remediate because there's different ways to bypass it, like parameter pollution, 400 bypasses, client-side validation bypass, crypto analysis. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, so first you kind of have to define access control like where, right? Um, the typical relationship that we we think about is server and client-side. Client-side controls are always for optimization and never for security. So that's an easy boundary. Um, that's really how we look at it. Server-side being the back-end logic, the stuff we're not supposed to be able to modify. Client stuff we should be able to modify. So that's why it's not a control. Whereas uh, server side, we shouldn't be able to easily um, bypass access controls. Uh, now this can get like, I guess there's a few ways to talk about it. There's, there's the uh, authorization style decorators, which are used as access control mechanisms or enforcement mechanisms. Um, I mean, I guess you, you could look at access control pretty, pretty abstractly. You could, I mean, you know, so not just authorization on endpoints, permission levels can get complex. Um, what resources that the application generates that you can, you can access. Um, yeah. I think. Um, I, I mean, also, so uh, architect, sorry, what's that? No, I like you're, you're going down that path. I, I, you know, my, my take on this is understanding what the structure of the application looks like or the environment looks like in order to assess access control vulnerabilities is where it has to start, right? Um, and and I think that's what you're getting into. There's so many ways that it can go wrong. And Rafine, I, like you, you know, feel free to speak up if you have you know further questions. But um, the the idea that it is hard to remediate, you're absolutely right. Um, without full understanding of what the application is trying to accomplish and how it accomplishes that, um, access control is always going to be an issue. And then understanding what is actually exposed by an application. Um, and then, you know, the role matrix that Ken's rolling into, that ta he's talking about here, um, is also fairly interesting because th those become very complex. I see some applications where it's very simple because it is just like a regular user and administrator and not, you know, anonymous users or, you know, internet users, right? That, that kind of paradigm is fairly simple, but the second that you start to assign roles within those different levels of access, um, what can they get to? How do they access different parameters? Um, yeah, the, all the different bypasses. I, there's always going to be issues here. So, and Ken, I totally interrupted you. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I was trying to think of like, no, not at all. I was actually trying to think of, um, like remediation advice, um, it, it, man, it differs. Um, so like some easy hit list way, I was just, just trying to think of some easy, like here's how you actually kind of walk through the, the, the most common ways to identify when you have those weaknesses and then see if that's applicable to this scenario. But anyways, what I was thinking about, um, so like one of the things we show with source code review is, identifying what those authorization decorators are and then setting up simple SEMGREP rules that, um, so once you figure out like how our authorization uh, decorators or filters or whatever you want to call them, how are those applied against each route? And a route obviously matches to 
meaning a route being an HTTP path that you're requesting, um, how does that, how is the authorization enforced on that route? So once you figure out how that's defined, like when we give our course, we show there's several ways to do it, depending on which web framework or technology you're working with. Sometimes it's inside of a controller file, like you see with Rails. Sometimes the authorization functions applied on the actual route definition, like such as uh, Node Express. Sometimes it's above the actual action itself, like you see often with Django and uh, .NET applications. Um, so really, you have to figure out where, where and how are these uh, decorators applied. And obviously, then you also need to understand, you know, what that maps to in terms of like what permissions those decorators are expecting a user or whatever role to have, right? So then you'd want to do a negative search and look for places where, and this is where I was talking about with SEMGREP, you can easily write rules where you say, hey, now that I know how it's supposed to look, like a concrete example would be when we showed Node Express, anytime there's a route defined with only two parameters, it means there isn't a, there isn't a middleware um, option defined. And that middleware is typically where authorization occurs. So imagine you have three components. You have the first part is uh, the path. The second is the authorization middleware. And then the last being where it's going to actually be processed. Now that we know that pattern, when we, we know that there are three, there's essentially going to be three parameters given um, when the route's defined. And if there's not three routes to, uh, given or three parameters given, then we know there's no authorization applied on that route, at least in the the way that they're they've defined assuming they've defined the routes in that in that way i mean there's other cases we we talk about where you can use app.use and then some regex and you can apply it against multiple endpoints but i don't want to get into that i want to keep this pretty high level so once you have a pattern for like your negative search you write a semgrep rule and you look for everywhere where that authorization is not applied that's an easy way to kind of determine where access control might be broken another way that we talk about is uh when dealing with, especially when you're looking at incremental changes to an application, such as you see with like a pull request, is reviewing those changes to make sure that there are, first of all, whatever in, logic's being introduced, that there is there are also then tests that go along with that that ensure that the properly authorized actors can reach that endpoint and that the not properly authorized actors are forbidden from reaching those resources. And that, at a minimum, is some, some test... Uh, unit testing or whatever you want to call it uh, that should be introduced as part of those changes. Do you have other things you want to add to that, Seth, uh, like in terms of easy ways to kind of identify those issues? Easy ways to identify those issues. <laughs> easy ways <laughs> to fix the internet, buddy. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I, I don't know, right? Like it's, it's number one in the, to in the, in the latest OSPOP 10, right? Like, and I would, I'd be hard pressed to say I find applications that don't have access control problems, at least in some form, uh, when we're doing, you know, our, our typical application assessment against, yeah, against mobile and, you know, typical web applications. Um, that being said, uh, most of the time it is, you know, that you're thinking about it horizontally, horizontally, right? Like one, atta one account attacking another one vertically, trying to escalate privileges either for, as an anonymous user or as a user to an administrator. Um, and then looking at things like, you know, what the, what the controls are that actually enforce authorization or access control. Um, so that would be, you know, your cookies, your API keys, your jots, um, even like locations or, you know, URLs at, at times, right? Knowing what the URL is may actually be the only protection that's in place. Um, but, and I think that's what you're going back to with, you know, identifying the authorization functions from a secure code review perspective. That's how we go about it. In a dynamic assessment, it's more of identifying what those tokens are, what it is that actually controls my access, um, and then stripping that out and seeing what happens. Um, I don't know. I posted up the link to the OWASP top 10 because I, you know, I always, I've always find it entertaining to look through the CWEs that are associated with the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities. Um, and in this case, you've got things like improper authorization, but also incorrect authorization, right? Like those are two CWEs that are both defined. Um, and it like, 
Is one not formal enough? I guess, right? Like I'm like one's improper, one's incorrect. Yeah, take your pick, right? Like you could probably go read up on him. Um, one but, didn't show up with a tux and uh, bow tie on, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, yeah. Improper instead of incorrect, and then missing, you know, missing or what? Is, what is it? Uh, you know, incorrect default permissions. I don't know, right? Like improper authorization and improper access control, right? Um, okay, so we've got different definitions that are going on there. Um, but there is quite a list of map CVEs or CWEs, sorry, CWEs to, you know, um, that broken access control vulnerability for OWASP. Uh, and like, we're not going to be able to contain it all in five minutes, right? Like it, you, you realistically, what you want to do is go through and look at the different items that are contained within it. Um, and, and come up with your own process on, um, okay, how do I first enumerate what's available to me and then how access control is defined? Um, yeah, I, that, that's, that's all I can really say to it, right? I, I guess that was more than probably was necessary. No, I actually, uh, I'm just, well, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at uh, Ken Kohler's, <laughs> we need a CB, CWE that's, that is, this is just terrible. <laughs> this, is, or, uh, this is horrible, yeah. I think we should also mention that CSERF is considered an authorization uh, function. And this is a good reminder that this is something you should also be looking at is to ensure that. And so I guess in that vein, it technically wouldn't, a, wouldn't it, well, what do we call it? Uh, method interchange. Wouldn't technically method interchange be sort of like a broken access control in that way, since it does yeah. allow for CSERF in most frameworks. Yeah, yeah uh, it definitely is. Right. Like, and Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, misconfiguration as well, like not, you know, doing the proper origin, giving the proper origin directive. And sometimes you see people even reflect the origin back. We had, uh, who did we have on a long time ago to talk about that? Uh, Kevin, Cody, and Tim Tomes, right? Didn't they yeah. discuss that a bit? Their, their, their research? Their research yeah. into cores was really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, yeah. Mass I mean, to be honest you, as I, what's that? No, no, go ahead as you what, as you think about no, it. No, as I go through this list, I get why I get, it's starting to kind of clarify my mind. Uh, God, I'm saying, I'm going to say their names poorly. Rafine. I don't, I apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly. Uh, when I look at this description, it's like everything under the kitchen sink. And and that's not something against OWASP, but I, I get it now when you read it all broken out like this, like it could be rate limiting being off, you know, like I said, cores or origin headers being incorrect. Uh, not logging access control failures and alerting uh, admins on it. Um, URL redirection. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things listed inside of this. Uh... I mean, I think honestly, accessing API with missing access controls for post, put, and delete. Well, I wonder if that's just saying those are APIs that have dangerous RFC, dangerous according to RF, the RFC specifications, dangerous HTTP verbs. And they don't have access control on that. Um, I assume that's not method interchange. I think that's different. Uh, parameter tampering or force browsing. Internal application state. HTML page by using an attack. Oh, one one that uh, that I think qualifies is that uh, the 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 ASP dot or uh, excuse me, uh, what was it? Dot nets redirect that we talk about, where redirect <laughs> if you give it that set two parameters. So the, the, the normal way you see it is redirect with a HTTP path, but you can do redirect with an HTTP path and you can also give it true or false. And if you give it false, it uh, leads to a situation that Seth and I give an example about with like images and stuff, but it's pretty interesting. If you do false, the code does not stop executing. And so you get a response back from the application that says 301 or 302 to this location, put in the body if you like observe it and say burp, you know, for instance, or you just have burp like match and replace 301 or 302 for 200. You'll just have the full page rendered as normal. And it's just just by including that little false snippet, you totally break your access control if you're using the redirect uh, function as like a, a method to send people off to like a login page or something, you know, because they're not authorized. So, yeah, that's another yeah, I, where things can go wrong. 
Exactly. I, I don't know. I like, I feel like with access control, we could spend all day just talking about ways we've seen things go wrong. Right. And, and looking through this list, like spurs my memory on tons of these, right? Like, um, yeah. Improper link re resolution before file access, uh, forced browsing, confused deputy, right? Like that's, yeah. Yeah. Like when the original question came up, I was like, oh, well we can discuss it, but I don't know how much there is to discuss. But now the, the more we go into this, I'm like, yeah, we could probably just talk all day about this. Like it's, it's uh pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, I, I did want to bring up. Oh, since yeah. this talks about OAuth, there's something I wanted to bring up. There is a uh, OAuth. I got to find it. There's an OAuth Burp Suite plugin now to uh, for it's I think it's called OAuth Scan or something. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, let me. Oh, I found it. OK, cool. This I really want to play around with. I guess it has like a handful of checks for common OAuth implementation issues. So I'm kind of excited. I'll put that in. Uh, I want to. I want to kick the tires on it. Um, there are there are things you can totally do wrong with OAuth. Uh, and I, and I, I would say, yeah, I would argue that OAuth, like any single sign-on mechanism, right? Like as a tester, we we have a tendency to push those out of scope, right? Because they aren't necessarily part of the application, but or they are in like limited ways. Um, but I think that's what this plugin is trying to correct, right? Is, um, is this fact that yes, like there is authentication happening through a, a single sign on through OAuth or OAuth2, but you make a mistake with things like redirects and other things associated with that as you're sending, as you're doing the OAuth dance back and forth. And it can have huge security implications as far as like allowing someone else access to your account or some other resource um, with leaking data, right? Like th there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, you can see like a live example for those watching. If you have not seen our absolute AppSec After Dark episodes, check out After Dark episodes one and two, and you'll see OAuth misconfiguration issues uh, being abused for account takeover by yep. our lovely Seth Law. It was fun. Yeah. But it was I, like it. It, yeah, it comes with a misunderstanding of how the OAuth dance is supposed to happen and where the security lies. Um, you know, developers, you know, passing data back and forth, right? Uh, that uh, article that I just posted from Port Swigger as well, um, that OAuth, it, I believe it steps into it, but it, I don't know if it uses the plugin or not, but it's a good um, primer on how OAuth authentication happens and they even have a, a lab that you can step through to fit, to look at some of those vulnerabilities. So if you're dealing with any application that uses OAuth, I would highly recommend it. They have a list of checks they're looking for with this plugin, by the way, open redirect issues on the redirect URI parameter, authorization code replay issues, leakage of secrets, tokens and codes, PKCE misconfigurations, nonce parameter misconfigurations, state parameter misconfigurations, input validation issues on scope parameter, which I think Ken Toller was mentioning, uh, scope parameter and input validation, probably that's maybe what you were talking about. Detection of inherently, well, this is inherently insecure flows, SSRF issues via request URI parameter, detection of well-known and web finger resources. So that besides that last one, detection of well-known and web finger resources, as well as PKCE misconfigurations, I've literally seen, yeah, I've seen all of them. I've seen all of these the issues other than those two. So in the, in the wild. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I think I told you, but there was a library that, uh, no, you, you've I've def because we talked about it. There's uh, there's, <laughs> there's a freaking library. I don't remember which one it is. It's in like maybe Node, and it's, it does OAuth. And like if you don't um, give it a correctly formed, oh gosh, authorization server. I want to say uh, it just spits out uh, an error that gives your OAuth client ID and client secret in the error message. <laughs> nice. It followed Neil's advice, basically. So. Yeah, yeah, 500, 500 error. Here's everything you would need to possibly figure out what's going on. See, people are listening <laughs> to your advice. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, 
yeah, pretty, pretty uh, concerning. I don't remember the name of the library though, but and also it's probably good that I don't put open source people on blast. I don't want to do that. It's not my intention, but it is pretty bad when that happens. Yep. And a library just gives up your secret and you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know we, well, that's another authorization issue, right? Like authorization leads to auditing issues, leads to authentication issues. Um, the AAA, the Crocs and Socks of AppSec, shall we say. Yeah, but yeah. I say that, but then Log4j lit your whole world up. Like made it Woo-hoo! cool. It made it cool. Yeah, so... That's right. I'm cool. You remember that, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll remember that, Seth. I'll remember how cool you are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was going to say the other thing I want to delve a little bit more into myself is OIDC, since that's kind of the new newer hotness, and you see that being used with. Uh, well, one one case is my employer. Uh, mm-hmm. You see it with GitHub Actions and AWS Federation, as well as I believe Azure, um, using OIDC. So uh, that's an interesting protocol built upon OAuth, but uh, kind of expanded. They don't have. John was telling me. I think it was John who was telling me this yesterday. It's not considered assertions, but it's kind of the same thing as a SAML assertion. It's like uh, there's a different term for it. I forget. Anyways, worth digging into and maybe explaining to folks on one of these uh, follow-up episodes. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot there, right? Like OIDC, it would be kind of fun to do a a, a breakdown on what that actually is, and yeah. you know how it can be used and how it can be used insecurely, where it can fail. Like any of these, right? Like I, the OAuth stuff. There's some pretty good resources out there, um, but OIDC layered on top of that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it always feels like the more complex we make something, the more likely it is or the more surface there is for it to break in unintended ways. Um, and when it breaks, how severe that is really depends on the application, depends on the you know the service, like how much we are using or we, we are depending on it for security. Um, so, yeah. So let's dig into OIDC. That would be fun. Um, yeah, there is some principle experience. of software where you, the... Yeah simpler it is the less prone for it's actually not even the software. oh god i can't remember i can't remember anything anymore this is like every year i get older i just forget everything <laughs> just i have no idea anyways uh yeah there, there is some principle around that though that simplicity is best uh but yeah just can't remember yeah S- simple is more secure yeah yeah simple like, is more secure more secure yeah usually usually yeah. usually <laughs> Cool. Anyway, I, we, we talk about today. I don't know. I like. I'm sure we had we had more articles to talk through, but you know, we can leave those for another time. Um, you know, there was an article about recapture that this Code Cat. I haven't played with it yet. I'm going to drop it in here quick because I, you know, I found it fairly interesting that someone had written a a, a tool to. I mean, it's to help in static code analysis. Right, um, but it, it's supposed to find user input syncs, right? Um, oh, is it? Is it? How does yeah. it lay that out? I really don't know up to this point, right? Like, I want to play with it, so I. But I did want to throw it out there if somebody has some time or some interest in it. I've seen it pop up a couple times in different locations, um, just as a new tool that someone's using. So we'll play with it. I've got a couple code reviews that are going on right now that uh, we can use it against, or even our next after dark episode, maybe can uh, we'll pull yeah. it out and oh. see how it performs. Yeah. And actually, so after we got the get lens plugin recommended to us for code reviews, uh, I started using it. Get lens is awesome. Um, people should be using that if they're using I, uh, I was using it for VS Code. I think that they, I don't know if it's just VS Code or if they have other like plugins for other stuff, but uh, for sure, like GitLens was pretty awesome. It, it gives you a good, nice, one of the things I liked about it is just how easy it is to kind of see Git blame, see the Git commit history, just see like the history of code that's changed. And it gives you a real nice in the ID view of code diffs as well, right? So like it gives you the same thing you'd see on like a, one of the Git hosting providers that are out there, Bitbucket, GitLab, GitHub. Um, but it does it in your IDE real easily and real, real nice. 
so get lens, check that out. I do. This is interesting too, because even though it's got like a ton of the stuff that we review supported, it also uh, CodeCat anyways, is what I'm referring to. CodeCat it says that you can create your own rules pretty easily. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of promise there, right? Like, which is why I, I wanted to start pulling it up because it looks like a, a pretty useful tool for the, uh, like the work that we do. So, um, but GitLens is awesome. Yeah. Rafine had, I'm just reading the comment here. It says often access control issues occur in business logic in the business logic tier. In such cases, SAS DAS has nothing to do. Uh, I think we've, we've to study documentation of the app, which manifests. Yeah. So actually as part of our methodology. So that last point, we've got to study documentation, uh, around the app, which uh, many testers don't uh, do or look for. Yeah, so that's um, that's a key critical part that we talk about as being what we call non-negotiable. You have to learn, you have to read the documents, any documentation the application provides to help you profile its behavior, profile it, the data flowing through it, DFDs, data flow diagrams, anything you can generate. Um, at least it doesn't have to be like super in-depth. We're talking about a high-level kind of DFD. Um, as well as a, uh, uh, oh, what's the last component of that? Tech stack, understanding the tech stack, because then you understand what the application is actually doing. Also looking at unit tests. We, we talk about you you're looking at the unit test to understand more about the application and the intended, like the intended behavior of the endpoints, what the request should look like, what parameters it's taking, things like that. So um, once you have that, you have a more, even if you were to, have only that information and then only the results of a SaaS tool, I'd argue you'd be in a much better place than if you were just, um, yeah, you can't just run a SaaS tool and expect it to give you something. And with no context about the application, expect it to give you something valid. That is for sure. Although I disagree that SaaS or DAS has limited usage here when detecting authorization issues. I think there's both in used in tandem actually provide a lot of value. I think SAS can help you once you've correctly set up rules or you, like I said, I mean, SAS, you could consider SEMGREP a SAS. So writing rules that have negative test cases where you're looking for, like I said, where authorization functions aren't applied, uh, that has value. Using even Burp to uh, have your site map and then, you know, Burp allows you to request those same endpoints as a different authorized uh, as a different level of an authorized user that provides value because now you can see what, you know, what is accessible um, to an anonymous user, a logged in user, an elevated permission user, like an admin or something like that. So there's, there's certainly like uh, value in both, but I think ultimately it does a lot of what you're saying here at the end there, it, it makes all of that actually applicable is you have to understand the technology stack, what the application is doing. You also need to understand like how the technology stack that's built on actually enforces access control. And once you understand those patterns and, and, you know, what the, and, and, and another thing we talk about set is configurations, like configurations can be used to enforce access control as well. So you, you may need, need to understand how to correctly configure those or modify those configuration values in a config file. Yeah. So SAST and DAST, like if, if, if testers are depending on SAST and DAST for access control identification, right? Like, you know, Rafine, you're absolutely right. Like it's, that's not ideal, uh, you know, in any stretch. And Ken and I have experienced that in the past, people using those tools and assuming that they're catching everything with an application, like everything that's in the OWASP top 10. Um, but that's just not the case. Um, the, the manual effort, the custom effort that you put into it will identify those things that Ken's talking about. And then will also help you identify further vulnerabilities. So, Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately it comes down to your skill set, right? Tools are tools. I can't use this to fix my plumbing, right? <laughs> Whoa, slow down this there. Is my, <laughs> this isn't my only tool that I have in this tool bucket over here, right? I've got a lot of things in it. And it comes down to like, you know, that it's not the tool's ability to, to do things. It's my, my ability to use those tools. Right. So yeah. that's, that's something to always keep in mind as well. Yep. Cool. Um, well, good. Yeah. So we've got CodeCat to review. We want to talk OADC in the, in the future. Um, we'll show GitLens and CodeCat in a future after dark episode. Um, outside of that, 
Yeah. I, I don't think there's really anything else today, Ken, because I, I mean, if we get into another topic, we'll be going for at least another half an hour. Yeah, I, know I us, got some, so. some heads down work I got to get started on. So I'm yeah. sure you do too. I know you're Mr. Business, Mr. Businessman over there Mr. doing business. Mr. Business, business, doing business deals. I got to go put on my suit and tie and then we'll, we'll Isn't that we'll what your family calls you, Mr. Business? <laughs> <laughs> or no lord business Something lord like business that. there you go lord yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah blah 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 cool all right well thanks everybody for joining today catch us online um we'll continue the discussion in slack and you know or twitter if you feel the desire to hit us up but appreciate the feedback and the interactions today so thanks everybody for joining can any any last minute thoughts no, just thank you. And, uh, you know, like I said, heart goes out to those in Ukraine. Hope uh, yeah. things improve uh, shortly. Massively. So. Yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. We'll chat soon. Thanks. Bye.